All right. Probably going to make a mistake doing this tonight, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, before we get started, I'm very, 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 very aware uh, that, well, of course I'm very aware of this, that preaching can be difficult. It can be can be hard because you're trying to, you know, you're trying to accomplish a lot of things in a sermon and it doesn't always go the way you want it to go. It doesn't always come across that way. And I know, uh, especially considering the way I try to teach, which is not just give you three points, but bring forth ideas, theological hypotheses, theses, put them out there, test them, run them, decide whether we're going to go this way, we're going to go that way. That, I know that's a really different way of teaching and it can it can it can it can make it difficult at times and so sometimes it goes well sometimes it doesn't go so well i am going to try um and also um just i think over time just looking at there, there's certain things about christianity that we, you know has always everyone knows it bothers has bothered me right i mean anyone who's ever listened to me preach knows there's a lot of things about christianity that bothers me Clearly, I've become much more cynical, bothered, uh, whatever word you want to use, over time with just, I can never be in agreement on anything, right? I can, I can go pick up that book right here, look up the definition of repentance. Is it going to look like what we find in the Blue Letter Bible app? No. Is it going to look like what we find in Thayer's lexicon? No. So how can there be a disagreement over a word? I don't know, right? It, it, I, I'm like, I've, I've become so sick of that. There, there's no words for it. We looked up baptizo. How can there be a disagreement on the meaning of the word? There's a meaning of the word, right? Like we can just go on and on and on and on. That like there's so, that like nobody agrees on anything. And to say that I've become bothered by it, I mean, I, I've, become, I've become almost like, I've almost become finished with it. Like I'm just tired of it. Like, why in 2,000 years we can't, I mean, look, I can understand there's some things we not be able to agree on, right? There's certain passages in Revelation I can understand, right? But there are certain things for crying out loud. So I know that I can become very jaded and very cynical, which is probably not a positive thing in preaching. So I'm going to try, this is no promise, this, I'm going to try to take my cynical side, my jaded side, my frustrated side, and move it away from here, Maybe it, I'm still, it's still going to be on the podcast because that's just me and I can't apologize for that. So I'm going to move it more, more to the podcast side and maybe less from the sermon side. I'm going to try. I can't guarantee, but I'm going to try. And I'm going to try, try to um, also maybe change up some, some of that, some of my theological hypotheses and throwing out theses and, and doing that I think is, I think it, it, it is probably finds a home better on the podcast than it does in the church. So I'm going to try to maybe move it more towards that side and change things here, hopefully in a way that will be more conducive and better and make people more happy. So I'm going to be rearranging certain things and saying, you know what, I'm just going to move that over to this side and then change this. So in order to try to do that, the last seven weeks, we've been in the Gospel of John for the Bible study exercise on the podcast. And while doing that, I uh, introduced 
uh, I, gave, uh, I, I gave everyone uh, a seven-day reading plan on the seven signs and the seven I am's. So I just have to ask the question. If it's no, that's perfectly okay. I just need to know where I'm at right here. How many did the reading plan? Nobody. Okay, all right. So that's fine. So for those who are listening online who participated and did all the notes and everything, I'm going to have to do a, be a little bit repetitive here, but then we're, we're going we're gonna to turn this into kind of a, let me go to my, here we go. Here we go. Let's, uh, yeah, all right. I'll just go to this. Uh, no, what is it doing? What is it doing? I know the reading plan is over, but I need you not to do that to me. All right, here we go. All right. At least I know where the scriptures are. All right. So um, what we're going to do is I'm going to try to introduce this. Now, on the, on the podcast and the Bible study exercise, um, we, we t- spent a whole week on it, trying to kind of cover it and deal with it. I, I tried to establish early on, and I, and I believe I did it here, and if I didn't do it here, just correct me. Um, that I tried to demonstrate that the Gospel of John is structured in such a way where we have seven signs. I know we did that here, right? I, I guarantee you, I know we did it here. We looked at the possible seven signs. I think I, we listed, listed all seven, and Bobby pointed out that, no, well, of course, there's not agreement on the seven. I know, of course, I imagine that. There's not agreement even on the seven signs uh, because some people, I think, remove the cleansing from the temple and don't count that as a sign and have Jesus, I think, walking on water, I believe was the one that they, they, they counted. So there may be disagreement on the seven signs. Uh, that's fine. Okay, we can say there's eight signs. I think that's what Bobby's, how Bobby put it, and that's probably a better way. Then we don't make anyone mad, right? right. So, but there's typically viewed that there are seven signs in the, that the Gospel of John is structured to give these seven signs, right? And does everybody know why those seven signs are there? Okay, if you don't remember, well, you may, we, may, we may have covered this on the podcast. We didn't cover it here. Go to the Gospel of John really quick. I'm going to try to expedite through this so that we can try to see how far we can get tonight. All right, John, I believe it's chapter 20. Right? John chapter 20, starting in verse 30. John 20, verse 30. John 20, verse 30. If you read verse 30, and many other signs, other signs, uh, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, meaning there are signs written in the book. And we believe that the first half of John includes seven signs. Now those signs, what would be another word for those signs? What would be another word for signs? Miracles, thank you. Miracles, all right? So there are seven miracles that are done in the Gospel of John. There are others that are not written. Now what is the purpose of these signs? But these are written, verse 31, that you might... Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So that these miracle signs are done to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ, meaning Messiah, right? The anointed one. And the Son of God, meaning his deity, right? So they are to demonstrate his, him being the anointed one, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, and that he is the Son of God. That's what they're there for. Now, the reason I have to stress that 
if you if you've listened to the podcast, I've been doing at different times reviews of some sermons from a church that's spending a year and a half in the Gospel of John, but it's been a disaster of epic proportions trying to review these sermons because I don't think they it's not even I don't know what it's about, but it's not about the Gospel of John because they make this horrible mistake. They agree that there are seven signs, but they make the seven signs about us. They make the seven signs about Jesus does this and that we can have the power to do similar. It's like it's just, no, the seven signs aren't about us. What are the seven signs about? Two things, the Christ and it's right there in verse 31. Son of God. They show two things. That's what they are about. So that made me very like, okay, everyone, the Bible study exercise. We need to go through these seven signs. But then you notice something that in the first half of John, you have seven signs. But in the latter half of John, you have seven I am statements. Okay. Seven signs, seven I am statements. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that somehow they have to fit together, right? Okay. Well, that's, that's enough right there to get to keep us busy for, who knows, 500 years. But wait, there's more, right? There's more. It's free of charge. Okay, here we go. Now, this is all review for, uh, for those who, who participated in the, uh, in the uh, reading plan. For everyone else, I'm going to get you caught up. But I got to go through quick because there's four points I have to go through like at rapid speed. Okay, all right, here we go. Number one. Look at Matthew 3, 3 and John 1, 23. Matthew 3, 3 and John 1, 23, before I give you the point. All right. Um, uh, John 1, 23 and Matthew 3, 3. Sorry if I didn't say that correctly. All right. Okay. All right, making sure I don't have any comments on speaker. Okay. All right. Matthew 3, 3, John 1, 23. You guys read it to yourselves quickly and tell me what they say or just basically summarize what is said here. I'm going to go to Matthew 3, 3 and then I'll read it online. I'll read it so that everybody online can hear it. Okay. Speaking about John the Baptist, yes. I'll, I'll just go ahead and read both of them. Matthew 3, 3. Um, and those days, uh, I'm going back to uh, Matthew 3, 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, right? And then in verse 3, for this is he, who is he? John the Baptist, that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John 1, 23 should give you a similar concept. You can verify. All right, now... That means, listen, everyone follow this. Point number one, John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. Okay, that's, that's not deep. That's, not, that's just basic stuff, right? John the Baptist prepared the way for whom? Jesus. Everybody got that down? Okay, all right. Point number two, look at Luke chapter 1, verse 17, and Matthew chapter 11, verse 14. Luke chapter 1, verse 17, and Matthew chapter 11, verse 14. Luke 1, 17, and Matthew eleven fourteen. 14. Okay, what do we find in Luke 1, 17? What do you discover here in Matthew 
and Matthew and Luke. Okay, and uh, look at uh, Luke one seventeen. Speaking, who is this speaking of? Who is this speaking of? John the Baptist. Very good. This is speaking of John the Baptist. We're still with John the Baptist. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. He shall go forth in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. All right? Keep that. Now, what was the second one that I gave you? Matthew eleven fourteen. What does it say? Right. And speaking, that's speaking of whom? John the Baptist was the Elijah to come, right? So what's, so here's point number two. John is connected to Elijah. There's no way to get around that, right? In fact, he's so connected to Elijah that many who are not Christians, maybe even some within Christianity, claim that Elijah was, or John the Baptist was the reincarnation of John the Baptist. We, of course, or that John the Baptist was the reincarnation of Elijah, which we, we don't believe, obviously. Okay, um, that would be some serious theological issues there. All right, but. You, you get the idea, all right? Now, that brings us to number three, all right? Look at 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, there's a lot here. Uh, we don't have time to read all of this. This was in the, the, the reading plan, so we don't have a lot of time here to look for this, but I, a lot. just 2 Kings chapter 2, we kind of have to... I'm going to have to just kind of go through this uh, quickly, all right? But here we go. Uh, we'll just, I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to have to just kind of skip around here so we can kind of get the basic concept down, right? Here we go. Second Kings chapter 2. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal, right? And Elijah, and Elijah said to Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, and they, well, they start having these conversations, right? Okay. Verse 4, Elijah said, Elijah said unto him, Elijah, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord sent me to Jericho. And he said, as the Lord liveth, as I so liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. So every time Elijah gets ready to leave, Elisha says what? Not going to leave you. I'm going with you. I'm going with you, all right? He, and uh, and he, he, this kind of goes on, all right? Then look what happens in verse... Uh, we'll look in verse 7. And 50 men of the son of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they two stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle, wrapped it together, and smote the waters, and were divided hither, and thither they, the, the two went over on dry ground. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. So Elijah's about to be what? Taken away. And then what does Elisha ask for? A double portion of thy spirit be upon me. So here's the third point I want you to get. Now, there's far more there. All right, I don't have time to, to get into all of it. But here's the basic idea. Elijah prepared the way for Elisha. 
So John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. John is connected to Elijah. Elijah prepared the way for Elisha. So far, so good? That brings us to point number four. Point number four, I told you I was going to try not to do this, but here we go. I'm going to try to remove this from my preaching as much as possible. Point number four is a theological hypothesis. It's a theological thesis, okay? It's just, it's something that I believe is true. Others believe it to be true. You can disagree. That's perfectly okay, all right? But here, now here's number four. You ready? All right? I could just state it dogmatically like it's not a theory, and that would not be accurate, all right? Elisha's, Elisha's miracles found in Second Kings, right? This is very important. Many believe those miracles are taken by John, the, the writer of the gospel, right? The one who wrote the gospel of John, and that he structures the first half of the gospel around the revisited miracles of Elisha. So that the so here, think about it this way. That the seven, this is what I want you to write now for number four. The seven signs of John are the revisited miracles of Elisha. John the Baptist, John the Baptist prepares the way of Jesus. John the Baptist is connected with whom? Elijah. Making, and if he prepared the way for, and Elijah prepared the way for Elisha, so in a roundabout way, they're connecting Jesus, in theory, to whom? No, Elisha. Elisha, right? Because Elijah prepared the way for whom? Elisha. John the Baptist prepared the way for whom? Christ. John the Baptist is connected to whom? Elijah, making then somehow Christ connected to Elisha, everybody understand the, the thought process, the logic? Okay. Now, you don't have to agree with it. Well, yeah, well, some would say it's explicit because, well, John the Baptist is very much connected to Elijah, and so therefore it is. And, but but what, the way to test it is, well, if Jesus is connected to Elisha, let's look at the miracles Elisha did, Right? And then look at the miracles Jesus does in John and see if those seven signs are connected to the miracles of Elisha. Is there a connection? Is there a correlation? Are they similar in any way? Is there similar language? Similar things happening? Okay. Does that make sense? All right. Now, just remember, we've already established that Jesus' miracles are not just a miracle to be done. They're pointing to something, right? They're pointing to him being son of God and the Messiah, right? Okay. And remember, all the Old Testament prophets, their miracles and their actions were not just miracles and actions into their own. They always pointed to something, right? Because John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet, it is typically understood that his, everything about John the Baptist was pointing to something. His clothing, his diet, all of it was pointing to something. Like, in other words, the, the Bible doesn't tell you about John the Baptist's dress and diet, 
just because it's a, it's a curiosity because it doesn't do that with anybody else, does it? All right, so then how do we typically understand it? Well, let's see. He was wearing camel's hair, right? Well, many people, camel's unclean, so he was demonstrating that Israel was unclean before God, all right? And so therefore, he was calling them to be baptized, which simply typically the, Jew, the Gentiles did. So he was telling them that they need to be made clean for the coming of the Messiah. He was eating what two things? Locusts. What is locusts a sign of all throughout the Bible? Okay, judgment. Judgment. That Israel was about to eat the judgment of God, all right? And they were eating wild honey. Honey typically is associated with the promised land, but it's wild honey, meaning that they were feeding and partaking on false or wild gospels. Therefore, they were going to eat the judgment of God. Therefore, they were unclean. So his dress and diet points to all of this. That's how it's typically understood, right? Because, because and the reason why is, it's just odd that the Bible would give that much description. Does it give that much description to the clothing and diet of Peter, of John, of any of the disciples? It doesn't even give that much description of the dress and diet of Jesus. John the Baptist is just this weird one. And then Jesus says, of all the people born of a woman, who's the greatest? John the Baptist. I mean, clearly there's something going on here. Well, he comes after Elijah. Well, go, to, go look at all the crazy things Elijah did. Go, go look at all the crazy things the Old Testament prophets were doing. Isaiah walked around for how long without any clothes on? A long time. Right? Okay. Because they were, and sometimes they would lay on their side or they would make bread. They, they would build a little fort and then, then destroy it. All the, because they were, everything was a sign. So they, the argument is we can connect this. Now, the, the plan that, I, uh, that was the homework for everyone to do with the Bible study exercise is a seven-day reading plan that just easily, magically, just, well, all you got to do is just read it. It just connects all of this. It connects. Here's what it connects. The miracles of Elijah. Then it'll give the miracle of Elisha. Then it gives the miracle of Jesus. Then it gives the, the I am statement. So it connects all four things perfectly, right? It's perfect. It's like, it's perfect, right? So whatever, whatever one did, who did it, that would send me notes going, okay, here's what I see in this miracle. Here's what I see in this miracle. Here's what I see in this miracle. Here's what I see in the I am statement. How is it linked? How is it not linked? How is it to, together or not together? Right? That, so we're going we're gonna to do that. And, but I told everyone at some point that I was going to go back through it and add and work through it. So are you ready to go through this as quickly as we can humanly possibly can? I'm going to skip the miracle of Elijah. And just go right with Elisha, all right? I mean, I, th I think that's okay. I may regret doing it. Here we go. So let's go to 2 Kings chapter 4. Second Kings chapter 4. All right? Now this may, you, when we're done, you may go, ah, I don't know. And that's okay. That's okay. Some of you, most likely, there'll be, some of you will be like, oh, I can see it. And there'll be some of you saying, I can't see it. That's fine. At least we can just pursue this. Either way, you're going to get a whole lot of scripture, right? I don't know if we can make it through all of these, but we're going to go as fast as I can. All right, here we go. Second Kings chapter four, verse one. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha. So what do we have in this miracle? Let's just take the elements. We have a woman who is connected to sons of the prophets, right? 
she speaks unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Now, that seems kind of, what do you mean, what should I do for thee? He just, she just told you what's going on, right? Yes? Okay. Tell me, uh, what hast thou in the house? And she said, thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, go borrow the vessels abroad all of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and thou shalt pour out into all these vessels, uh, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him, shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to, to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto there, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. All right? So what are the basic elements we have here? We have a woman. There's a problem. Right? There's a problem. Clearly, she doesn't have enough of something. Right? Because she can't pay her debt, her creditors. Right? The Elisha, and if I say Elijah at any point, I apologize. Elisha says, hey, what, what am I to do for you? Right? What, what am I to do for you? But he, almost immediately, he tells her what to do. Right? What am I to do for you? Immediately, and, what, and, it, and it requires getting what? Vessels. Pots. Correct? And then doing what? Filling them up. And then after it's all full... Sell it, all right? That, that's the basic elements, all right? Now, go, we, we, everybody know what the first sign is of Jesus, right? Everybody knows what the first sign is? I mean, we covered it here in, in church. Okay, good. With John chapter 2, everybody knows. All right, now let's contrast it. I mean, it has to be this one because nothing happens before it, okay? So it has to be this one, all right? Okay. This one everyone agrees on. Nobody disagrees on this one, right? Okay. John chapter 2. And the third day, there was a marriage in Canaan of Galilee. Now, please note, marriage. You have at least marriage. There was at least, she had a husband in the, in the previous one. He had died, but there was obviously a marriage. They had been married, right? Agreed? Okay. All right. There's a marriage. What happens? And Canaan of Galilee, and the, and the mother of Jesus was there. Do we have a mom? Do we have a mother? Right? A woman? Yes. Okay. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. What does she report? A lack of something. They're missing something. Do you see, do you see uh, at least a, a basic connection? All right. And then what does Jesus say? What to do with thee? Does that not sound familiar? Now this, see, this causes people to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That sounds like Elisha's miracle. Does it not? I'm not saying it's perfect, because like, I'm going to get 50 emails going, no, 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 no. There's a difference here. I know they're not perfect. 
The point, there, nobody says they're supposed to be perfect. They say that there's a, there, there's a, I don't know what the word, correct word would be. There's a similarity. Is that better? Some say an eerie similarity. They're very similar. Almost like John is like, we're going to revisit the miracles of Elisha and Jesus because Jesus is the Elisha to John being the Elijah of the story. And just as Elisha's miracles pointed to certain things, Jesus' signs point to certain things, right? Okay, so he says, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Is there a similar thing in, in Elisha's miracle where she says, do what he says? Oh, is it? Okay, right, but does, does she tell other people to do what, do it? Oh, she doesn't? Okay. Okay, I was just making sure. I was just making sure. All right, okay, that's fine. All right. Then verse 6, and there were set there six water pots of stone. Now we're back to at least, here it's, le, it's limited to six, right? It's limited to six, but it's still, we're back to pot of vessels, Right? Okay, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two of three firkins apiece. And Jesus said unto them, fill the water, uh, fill the pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. You have, the, you have pots and you have the filling of the pots, right? Now there, they end up with plenty. They have enough, yes? Here, they're not just going to have enough, right? Well, what happens? And he said, draw out now and bear unto the governor. And then, of course, what took place? The water had been turned into wine. So here you have a similar, I mean, the miracles are very similar. They're very similar. Elisha's miracle is revisited in Jesus, and Jesus demonstrates what by this miracle? Well, we know two things are having to be demonstrated. He's the Messiah, right? And he's the Son of God. His deity. Now, in John 1, his deity is connected with which action? Go to John chapter 1. What is Jesus' deity? It's connected with a certain action. No. I hope it's not. His deity obviously exists without the baptism. Uh, In John chapter 1, what is Jesus' deity connected with? It's connected with a certain action. It's very early right there in John chapter 1. In the beginning... Was the word, the word was with God, the word was God? Creation. creation. All right. Creation. That requires to be deity. Everybody understand that you can't create everything if you're not deity? All right. All right. So that's connecting deity to his what? To creation, right? Okay. Now, when you look at the miracle in John chapter uh, 2, how many water pots? Six. What does he do in those six water pots? An act of creation. All right, how many days in creation? Six. All right, so he's demonstrating creation by six pots. Now, what are those pots used for? Oh, look at at the text in John 2. What are those pots used for? It's right there in John 2. Purification of the Jews, right? Okay, now the purification of the Jews was done through washing and sacrifice. Jesus is whom? The Messiah. He's going to cleanse them once and for all. Sacrifice. So this ultimately points to Jesus as Son of God, and it points to Him as Messiah, because He has come 
as the power of creation, he has the power to create, and he will purify and cleanse them perfectly through obviously not washing, but through his blood. All right? So Elisha's miracle is revisited right here in John chapter 2. Does everybody see that? All right? Does that make sense? Are we we halfway sure? Okay, I hope so. I hope so. Okay. All right, now, go to John chapter 15. John 15, we have the I am statement, right? Now we have the I am statement we have to add to this. What's the I am statement in John 15? Look at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you accept ye abide in me. I am the vine. Now, we have a lot of things going on here, right? Now, if we go back to the miracle of Elisha, and if we go back to the miracle of Jesus, right? Clearly, in both cases, you have a miracle of provision. Can we agree? Something is being provided. In Jesus' case, clearly, there's not even a question. It's a miracle of creation. Can we agree? It's a miracle of provision. It's a miracle of creation. Not only that, can we, the, and, and the miracle of Jesus in John 2, it's also a miracle pointing to cleansing and purification, right? Because he takes the pots that would be used for cleansing. Jesus is going to now be the one who can cleanse them. Now, go to John 15. Do you see some of these very similar principles in the I am statement? Well, if he's the vine... The vine provides, isn't the vine the thing that provides to the branches? It provides everything to the branches, right? It's the vine that provides to the branch, the, nourish, the nutrients and everything. In this particular case, it is the branch's connection to the vine that they can produce what? Fruit, all right? Yes? Jesus creates wine, right? Which usually comes from the... From the vine, right? Or comes from the grape, right? Which is connected to the vine, yes? Jesus is that vine that produces this. Is there cleansing mentioned there? Uh, There's pruning, pruning, but what does Jesus say? Uh, Something about... There's the pruning. We definitely know the pruning. We won't get into all the debates over the pruning. Now you are clean through the word which... I have spoken. The word comes from whom? The vine. Branch is clean through the word of the Very much like the, the purifying is going to be done through Jesus. Right? Here's the vine. Okay? So now the I am statement is connected to the miracle, and the miracle is connected to Elisha. See them all connect? Right? I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm putting forth a a hypothesis. I'm not being dogmatic. You're clear to disagree. Now, that's just one, though. 
We got six more to go, okay? So we don't know if it's going to work, but it's definitely fun to see, yes? Or at least I think it's fun. Okay, you may not think this is fun, okay? But I, I think most people who participated thought it was fun, all right? Now let's go to the next one. Go to 2 Kings chapter 4. This is a long passage, and I don't have time to... Oh, man, we're already going to run out of time, but that's okay. Go to 2 Kings chapter 4. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. I was, I was going to look for a summary, but okay. Here we go. 2 Kings chapter 4. It's going to take us to verse 8. All right, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. So the first miracle of Elisha, or Elisha, uh, yeah, I said Elisha, is chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Everybody got that? Okay. The second one starts in verse 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shuman, uh, where there was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned uh, thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passed this by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came uh, thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. All right? And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shumanite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he, and, she, and he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, there has been, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About the season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie to thine handmaid. Right? Okay. Verse, (laughs) that just makes me laugh. Okay. Verse 17. And the woman conceived and bare a son, at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the uh, if I can, according to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said unto my, his father, "My head, my head." Obviously, he got the anthrax vaccine. All right, my head, my head. And he and he said to a lad, "Carry him to his mother." And when he had and when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat. Uh, on her knees till noon, and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. Everybody see that? All right. Verses 22 to 29, I believe they do a search for Elisha. Can you just kind of skim that to see if I'm describing that correctly or if anyone disagrees? Are they not searching for him? 22 to 29? Okay, yeah, so they're looking for him, right? All right, good, all right? Um, And then what happens in verse 30? And the mother of the child said, 
This is verse 30. Uh, 2 Kings 4. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before him and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him, wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awaked. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in therefore, shut the door upon them twain, prayed unto the Lord, he went up, lay upon the child, put his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, and his hands upon his hands, and he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned, walked in the house to and fro, went up and stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shumanite. So he called her, and when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. All right, now, I think everyone can agree that is the most bizarre, crazy stuff I've ever read in my life. What in the world is happening there? He's got a lay, lay on them with a mouth on mouth, eye on eye. Then the child sneezes seven times. What is that? What is even happening? All right, that is an odd miracle, yes? Okay, now, what in the world? How is this going to show up in the Gospel of John? Like, where, what are they going to do with this one? This one I'm a little concerned about. Anybody got any guesses where they could possibly go with this? I mean, yeah, since I didn't do the reading plan, y'all have no clue. But if you were to guess, it's in, it's in John chapter 4. This is where they want us to go. So what do you, where do you think they're going to go with this one? Isn't it just crazy? John 4, all right, let's go to verse 43, John 4, 43. Now, after two days, he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he, when he, and then he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, but they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water into wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. All right, do we have some similarities? We have a sick son. I don't know if you want to break down the rest of that to see if there's any similarities. We don't have time. But we definitely, everyone can see the sick son, yes? And in and, and 2 Kings, the son was saying what? My head, my head! Right, okay. Here we don't know what's wrong. Verse 47 when he heard that Jesus was coming out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and besought him that he would come down to his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, except, except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus hath spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servant met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then acquired he of them the hour uh, when he began to amend, and they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. Now we got the seventh hour, seven sneezes. I'm not saying that there's a connection, but we at least have sevens, right? So the father knew that it was at the same hour 
in which Jesus saith unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea unto Galilee. All right, they call this the second sign here, just so we can get discussion. I don't know if it's perfect. We do have one, though, the son is dead. So what, what are the unique features of these two miracles? What are the, the unique features of the one in 2 Kings and the unique feature of the one here in John 4? What are the unique features? Things that kind of like, wait, that's not normal. That stands out as odd. There's a bunch in 2 Kings, right? The son is first sick. They have to look for Elisha. Elisha first tells her to go back, right? And it doesn't work. And then they have to come get Elisha, and then he finally comes and shows up, correct? And then he does a lot of that weird stuff. No other way to describe it. So it's odd. What is the a unique feature in John 4? Well, Jesus is not there, just like Elijah, Elisha was not there, right? Okay? There's all kinds of unique things in, John, in, uh, in 2 Kings 4. What's the unique thing here? There's got to be, a, there's a unique thing that stands out. It should stand out. No, Jesus doesn't even go. He doesn't, he doesn't touch the kid. He doesn't see the kid. He doesn't even go. He just says, your son lives. That, it, that's a unique feature because typically when Jesus heals someone, where is he? He's touching them, with them, sees them, speaks. He, he's not, he doesn't even show up. It's just like, you're healed. So there's at least some unique features. The, this, the, the first one connects much better than this one, right? Obviously. This one, you don't go immediately going, oh, when you read, the, when you read this miracle of the nobleman's son, you probably don't immediately think of Elisha healing that's the son in Second Kings. But that, they at least put these two together. Let's see if we can get at least one more. All right? And any questions there? Oh, yo, I'm sorry. There's an I am. Sorry. John 10. Thank you. Thank you. I almost forgot the I am. I'm trying to hurry. <clears throat> Everybody here? John 10, verse 1. They give us 19 verses to read here, all right? But we are going to get the basic idea. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door, this is John 10, 1, uh, and the sheephold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep heareth, hear his voice, and he called his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he would put forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from them, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things that they that were which he spake unto them. They never understand what's going on. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Right? There's the I, I am the door of the sheep. Everybody see it? All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief come not but to steal, kill, and destroy. And then he says, I am the, he says, I am the good shepherd. So we, we have, I am the door. What do we have here? 
I am the door and I am the good shepherd. Right? Do we have, a, do we have any other ones in here? Um, I think he, that's all he says in this too, right? Okay, so I'm the good shepherd, right? So I'm the good shepherd and I am the door. I am the good shepherd and I am the door. I don't know how this per- fits perfectly here, right? Now, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it could, yeah, that, that we would have to do some, some work on this. I don't know if I, I'm the good shepherd, meaning typically the good shepherd is the one that does what? Cares for the sheep. So is he demonstrating the care? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of this one. Um, but you can at least see. All right. Um, yeah. Like, I, well, I'm, I'm, not, yeah I'm, not, I'm not saying that is or isn't. But here we go. I'm just going to read just quickly what they uh, say here in the reading plan. Notice as you read the comparison that takes place between how Elisha raised life, raised to life the Shumanite boy and how Jesus heals the rural officer's son. It is clear, it is clear that in the same way Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit for ministry, Jesus came with even more than a double portion of the spirit which was upon Elisha. The healing of the official son is known as the second sign of Jesus, though John in chapter 21 through 25 states that Jesus did so, so many miracles and wonders that not even the whole of human writing can contain its stories. Uh, John very intentionally includes these seven miracles to communicate to us, the reader, exactly who Jesus is. They don't do a lot there to try to draw the correlation. They don't say anything about the I am statement, but there you go. All right. Now, we, we could possibly do a, a little. I got some ideas there, but uh, for now, you can do your own work on those if you would like. All right. Let's see if we can get to the next one. Go to... Uh, 2 Kings 5. Uh, yes, I'm the good shepherd. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm the good shepherd. And, uh, and he says in verse 11, John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd. So I'm the door and I am the good shepherd are both there. All right? 2 Kings 5. Okay. A door, yeah, in 2 Kings it does emphasize the shedding of the door, but okay. All right. Um, yeah, I don't know. We, we could do some work on that one. All right, 2 Kings 5. Now, the only problem with this one, we have 27 verses and we got like two minutes. So, all right. So, 2 Kings 5, everyone knows what happens here? All right, Naaman is healed of leprosy here, right? He has leprosy. He, he, he expects the prophet to come to him, Right? And Elisha basically sends him a message to do what? Yeah, to, to go, to, well, to go, uh, in fact, if you see it here, um, see here, uh, verse 10, Elisha sent a message and said, go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shall be clean. He tells him, no, you got to go get, you got to go to the Jordan. You can't go anywhere else. You have to go to the Jordan. And you have to do it how many times? Seven. All right. So there's the miracle. And Naaman's leprosy is completely healed. Okay. Now go to John 14. I'm sorry, John chapter five. I'm I'm jumping to the uh, I am statement. All right. John chapter five.
John 5, 1. Now this, there was a feast of the Jews that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, right? Which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, right? Having five porches. And there lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whoever then first stepped into the troubling of the water, uh, stepped in, was made whole of whatever disease he had. They hold to some kind of... Now, we talked about this. We, uh, we believe this is a superstition because if people were actually being healed by getting into the water, Jesus healing someone here wouldn't even be significant, right? Wouldn't even matter. It'd be like, big deal. People are healed all here all the time. Obviously, this one guy has not been healed because he's been there for a very long time. So the point is, though, there is at least a concept here about if you can get into the water, you'll be clean, right? You'll be, you'll be, made, you'll be, you'll be made right. Okay, and and Second Kings, you've got Elisha telling him to go get in the water, and he'll be made clean. So you at least have some of the water. It's not exact, but you have water. And then what happens here? The man, there's a man there who'd been there how long? Thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, "Will thou be made whole?" Does Elisha say anything similar? In 2 Kings 5, does he say anything similar to that? Okay. He he, he doesn't necessarily say, will you be made clean? But he tells him, you will be made clean if you'll go to the Jordan and do this. Right? So it's it's similar. Not perfect, but similar. The impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but while I a man coming, another steppeth down uh, before me. So this man has a reason why he can't be healed, right? I can't be healed because there's no one who'll put me in the water. Does Nathan put forth some, uh, is it Na- Naaman? Is it Naaman or Nathan? Naaman, right, Naaman. Uh, Naaman has some objections. Like, wait, you come to me. Wait, why do I have to go there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Naaman gets a little upset at at the situation. So this man doesn't get upset, but he's basically like, well, wait a minute, how am I supposed to be healed? And then what happens immediately? Verse 8, Jesus saith unto him, rise, take up the bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. When Naaman gets into the water, he's immediately cleaned so it's not perfect but it's similar in the sense that you have you have the connection with water but here jesus doesn't need the water right and i think what they're one of the things they're trying to demonstrate as elisha had the double portion of the spirit of elijah jesus obviously has even more power than than elisha right that elijah elisha had the double portion of elijah and the Jesus obviously has even more power than Elisha because he's what? He's God, right? He's God, all right? Does that make sense? All right, then go to John 14. And we'll have to end with this. John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my father's house are many mansions. If, there, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That there I am, there, may be, there ye may be also. And whether I go ye now, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So what is the I am statement here? The way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. In a sense, Naaman needed to know the way, right? He needed to know the truth, and he needed life. Because he had leprosy, right? Listening, Jesus then demonstrates he's the way, the truth, and the life because this man has been, this problem with 38 years, this man thinks he needs what? This superstition. He needs to get into the water and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And what does Jesus give him? Life, right? He's healed. He's healed, right? He's healed. All right, so you, I can see the similarity there, all right? Now, I can't go through the next one. What I'm going to do is just give you references if you would like to look at them, all right? Here we go. The next one would be 2 Kings 4, 38 through 44. Yeah, 38 through 44. That's 2 Kings 4, 38 through 44. John 6, 1 through 14. And John 6, 22 through 59. All right. The next, and you may repeat those. 2 Kings 4, 38 through 44. John 6, 1 through 14. John 6, 22 through 59. The next one is 2 Kings 6, 1 through 6. And John 6, 16 through 21. Okay, John 6, 1 through 6, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. 2 Kings 6, 1 through 6, and John 6, 16 through 21. Is the I am in there? Or? Uh, it, it, I, I'm assuming they're, 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 they're acting like it is, okay, all right. Well, we'll, we'll have to, I'll let everyone figure that out on their own, what they do there. Right? 2 Kings 6, 1 through 6, John 6, 16 through 21. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I know, but I'm not. I'm not. I was trying not to give it away. Okay. All right. Here we go. Next. Second Kings six eighteen through twenty. Second Kings six eighteen through twenty. And then the it's John nine one through seven. And John eight twelve through thirty. We can, we can work on these on Wednesday as well if, if we're here. Right. And then last, 2 Kings 4, 8 through 37. 8 through 37, yep. Uh, this is what they give us. So you'll, have, you'll have to see why, okay? 2 Kings 4, 8 through 37. And then John 11, 1 through 44. And John 11, verse 25. 
right? And, and everybody got that? Okay. And John eleven twenty five is I am the resurrection. Okay, yeah, I, th- I thought I was verifying that. For some reason, I thought that's the wrong reference, but okay. All right, everybody got that? Okay, so we looked at the ones we, I'm just going to mark all of these as red. Okay, hang on. Not now, I don't need you to do that. Okay, we looked at all of these. Okay, I don't need you to do that again. And then we looked at uh, we looked at John Second uh, Kings five John five one through five and John fourteen right we looked at that one yes okay all right then that will bring us to the next one so we only have uh, four five six and seven we have four to go and we'll try to go through those on Wednesday just to see it all right. Now, you can, you can go back and look at those yourself. I think the more you dig into them, the more you may see correlation. The more you dig into them, the, you may see less correlation, okay? But it is at least interesting. And what I just want you to just see is, one, I think the history of the Gospel of John is, co- is structured. Seven signs and seven I am statements. I think the more you look at the seven I am statements, I don't know if they always perfectly connect with the seven Signs we, we talked about, I don't know if they always perfectly fit, but you can see that. But you, it really adds when you see, and just make sure we understand this, John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. John the Baptist is connected to Elijah. Elijah prepared the way for Elisha, and that many believe Elisha's miracles are revisited in the signs of Jesus, meaning Jesus, in a sense, is connected to Elisha. Therefore, his seven signs. The signs of Jesus points to what two things? That he's the Christ and the Son of God. His, him being Messiah and him being deity. Right? Him being deity. The seven I am statements build on this because it's not now. Now the signs point to the doctrinal truth. Right? The I am statements are declarative statements. Right? When he's saying I am the shepherd and I am the door, that's very much connected to Israel, right? I mean, he's connecting the sheep with Israel and the door. That's very much connected to Israel, very much so, all right? When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I mean, that's a little bit more than just Messiah. That's, that's deity there, right? Okay. Uh, what was the other I am statement that we looked at today? We looked at the door, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, and the life. Was there any other that we looked at? Okay, all right, th- those are all the ones we looked at. Okay, and so the, uh, all of them point to either, I think some of them are uniquely Messiah, and I think some of them are uniquely deity. Meaning, you take the I am and the signs, you're going to get to the fact that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God. Where the Elisha part comes in, it's just interesting. It's just interesting. How much you see there, some of, I think the first one seems obvious, right? The, the pots, the woman... What do I have to do with thee? I mean, the language is eerily similar. The next, some of the others, it's not quite as, you almost wish it would stay going in that direction. But whether, in other words, we're not, we're not bound by this to be a dogma. What we're trying to do is just demonstrate the uniqueness of some of these things, right? The uniqueness. Hey, this man needs to be cleaned of leprosy. Get in water. Here's a bunch of people trying to get in water. Jesus doesn't even need the water. 
but they all need a way to go, right? They all need truth and they all need life, and Jesus provides that, all right, if that makes sense. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. I pray that maybe this week we will spend some time looking at these passages. Uh, For those who've already worked on this, we'll try to add more to it and make it productive um, as we also at the same time this week are working on the Bible study exercise for temptation. I don't want us to divert too much of our attention away from it, Lord, but I pray that we would uh, have the ability and and discipline to focus on these two concepts to our spiritual benefit and to keep our focus on things that are spiritual. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...